What's up, podcast people? Thank you so much for tuning in to Known, a podcast where we sit down with people who have platforms, talk about the battles and burdens that they face in their lives, hoping to destroy this highlight reel mentality that our culture has become so accustomed to. This week, we sat down with Jonathan Pakluda, maybe better known as JP. Uh, he's a pastor in Waco, Texas now. He spent a lot of his life in Dallas doing pastoral ministry at Watermark Church. He's got an amazing story that's really going to connect with a lot of you guys, and I hope you'll tune in and listen. Uh, before we get rolling, I have to thank my buddy Ketch Smith, who loaned us some of his equipment so that we could have great quality podcasts down in Waco with JP. Uh, if you have not, go check out the Coffee and People podcast with Ketch Smith. Uh, and speaking of coffee, hey guys, the sponsor for this episode is the same sponsor for every episode. It is Cody Coffee Company. Make sure you try yours. We gave JP a huge bag and he said he loved it. Uh, but you can use the code KNOWN for 25% off at checkout. We promise, we promise, we promise, you're going to love it. Hey, thank you guys so much for tuning in. And guess what? We are actually going to do a giveaway with this episode. So JP wrote a book. And not only did he write a book, he wrote a phenomenal book. And I've read it. I know a lot of people that have read it. And I know a lot of lives that have been impacted by it. And so we're going to do a giveaway with this. What you have to do to enter the giveaway. This will be on our social media. You have to follow Humble Daily. You have to follow JP at jpakluda on Instagram. And then as you listen to the episode, take a screenshot, take a screen recording, whatever it is and post that to your story, tagging us and JP in it. If you do that, you will be entered to win a t-shirt or a tank from Humble Daily, a copy of JP's book, Welcome to Adulting, and then also we're going to throw in a free bag of Cody Coffee for the winner. So hey, go ahead, check it out, throw it up on your story. I think this podcast is really going to speak to a lot of people, and we're excited to see what it does. We love you guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. As always, you're the best. Mike, check one, two. Hey, what's up, guys? We're sitting down today with a guy who is a husband, a father, pastor, author, and a beatboxer. That's true. Right? Hey, hey, it's Jonathan Pakluda, guys. So uh, maybe better known as JP. That's right. Uh, how you doing today, JP? So good, man. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Hey, well, for the people that don't know you, JP, can we start a little bit with just an intro who you are? And I know you've probably beat your testimony to death, but a little bit about, I think you have a real strong testimony and it's something that I want to dive into. Uh, so can we talk a little bit about your story, who you are, how you yeah, got into ministry? Sure. For sure, for sure. So I was raised in small town, South Texas, like 6,700 people in the middle of nowhere, 3A, you know, Texas football, high school. And uh, I would describe my youth as an identity crisis. And sometimes when I say that, people are like, oh, man, that's all kids. Everybody has an identity crisis. And for me, I would say I grew up on a farm in, on 20 acres in the country, um, you know, I, I was in 4-H and FFA, kind of the agricultural programs. I showed hogs, chickens, rabbits, goats, steers. Uh, I had got both ears pierced, you know, got my first tattoo at 14. I drove this 1979 Mercedes Benz with hydraulics. It says Superfly on the back and, <laughs> and uh, you know, experimental with drugs, hung out with gangsters. Usually by that time, people are like, all right, man, identity crisis, that's you. And so, I kind of got my act together my senior year so that I could graduate. My mother was a guidance counselor and she, you know, she just said, Hey, you, you really need to, to graduate. And, um, she said, you can go away to school for two years or you can stay here for four. I said, well, I want to get out of here. And so I went to this technical college in Waco of all places. And I always say I, I crammed four years of partying into two years because I, I was raised Catholic. I went to Catholic school for nine years before high school but when I got to college, I had all of the freedom and none of the, the maturity to handle that freedom. And so just 
did all of the things I thought I would never do, you know, and that looked like, and they say drug, sex, and rock and roll. In my case, it was drug, sex, and hip hop. And just, just partied for two years and somehow graduated from this technical college and moved to Dallas. And I, and when I moved to Dallas, the partying continued. And so, you know, and now I'm just, I'm completely addicted to pornography. You know, I love the strip clubs. Um, like girls are my vice and I want to be a millionaire before I'm 30. I'm kind of everything wrong with Dallas in one person. And I moved five times in, in one year or in two years in Dallas, all within, within a mile of this um, club, because that's where my heart was. I was just like, that was my church. I would hang out at this club. And I was at this club on a Saturday night, and somebody invited me to church. I went, and I sat in the back row, hung over. I smelled like smoke from the, wearing the same clothes from the night before. And I just began to wrestle with who is God. I've always said that I believed in God, but I always did whatever I wanted to do. And so I'm like, man, do I really believe in God? Like, who is he? And I started looking at world religions. I looked at the Hindu faith, the Buddhist faith, the Jewish faith, Islamic faith, Mormons, Jehovah's Witness, Church Christian Science, Scientology. And I kept tripping over this character, Jesus Christ, in history. And I was really blown away by the evidence that supported the historical narrative of the existence of Jesus. And I was like, I realized, like, man, I don't have to be crazy to say that I believe this, that there's a lot of evidence that supports this. And so I gave, ended up giving, long story short, gave my life to Jesus and, and for the first time realized the grace of the cross and the empty tomb, his death and resurrection was a payment for the forgiveness of my sins. And when I trusted in that, just kind of everything in my life began to change. What, what I did for fun changed, who I hung out with changed, the way I dated changed, the way I talked changed. And I was continuing to kind of pursue the world in corporate America and five years later, just I, I was growing, I was being discipled, I was learning the Bible, like the Lord just kind of turned something on in my heart that, that gave me a hunger and a thirst for his word. And as I grew in that, five years later, uh, you know, I, I heard God say, you're going to come work for me. And I didn't know what that meant. And that, that's kind of where the calling into ministry happened. And I prayed about it for five days later, you know, long story short, five days after I said, hey, I think the Lord called me to vocational ministry, the church called and said, hey, we have a job we want you to consider. And I was like, what? <laughs> You know, what are you doing calling me? Like, I didn't go to seminary, like, you know, and... You were in corporate America at the time, right? Yeah, I was, I was in telecom. And so that when, you know, that was a big shift for us. I was married at the time. I mean, I'm still married, but I, I had already gotten married. And my wife married this, you know, successful sales guy and, you know, <laughs> had the Jaguar and the penthouse condo. And, and I'm like, hey, I think I need to go into vocational ministry. And so that's a crazy left-hand turn, but she was supportive and the Lord opened this crazy door at this church. And so I went on staff there and, you know, a year and a half into that, I got to preach my first sermon and they said, Hey, you know, we want you to keep doing that. And so I've been preaching now for 12 years and God's been faithful and allowed me to, to be a part of this young adult ministry. there called the porch. And recently our family just moved back to Waco to lead a church here called Harris Creek. And it's just been a wild ride. Awesome. And you have three kids. Yeah. Three kids now and so my son is Weston he's six years old Finley uh, who's 10 and Presley who's 12. Awesome well hey JP one of the things I want to talk about uh, I think your story the way that you do ministry really just the way that you walk in life watch just make sure that doesn't fall off there Um, it's all marked by vulnerability and authenticity everything you do that I've seen all the content I've consumed uh, that's that's a cornerstone of what you do I've even heard you say you lead with a limp I think that's a really cool way to put it. Can you speak for a little bit about just what the importance is of authenticity and vulnerability, not only just in your life or your walk with Christ, but just in relationships and the way that you operate in life? 
just in our existence, man. Like I was, I was hanging with this guy recently. He's a pastor, and he said, "Man, I, I love being with you because I can just kind of be myself. You know, I don't have to be on." And I thought about that. I was sad for him because I was thinking, like, man, who do I have to be on for? Like, I don't, I don't have an on and an off. Like, what you see is what you get. Who I am on stage is who I am off the stage. I hope my my I hope my kids aren't seeing like two sides of daddy. Like one yeah. one when I'm at church, and then one when I get home. And certainly, like they see the the ugliest side of me. But I hope I'm keeping short accounts when they do see that, and and I'm asking their forgiveness, and and that there's there's really just one me. And, um, and the, the scripture, I think we have bought into this idea of like, Hey, just between you and me, like these conversations that we have in, in, um, confidence or confidential confidentiality agreements that, that we're, you know, signing either literally or metaphorically with people. And I just don't see that in the scriptures. In the scriptures, I see in James five sixteen that we're to confess our sins to each other, and so like not to a priest, and not to a pastor, not to someone, not not even to a counselor, but to each other. That that is normative for us to confess our sins to each other. I see in in First John that we're to walk in the light, and you know that we're to to bring these things out. Ephesians also talks about being children of the light. And so I just got to this place where I'm like, man, I don't want any secrets. I think the enemy operates in the realm of secrets. And so when you start to keep something, you, and this would be good for your listeners to consider, what is it about you and your life that you think, hey, I can't tell anybody? I don't want anyone to know that. And I, one time I audited my life and I just said, is there anything in my history that I would be ashamed if somebody knew? And I was like, man, I'm just going to tell them, <laughs> you know, by the thousands. And so I talk about my pornography addiction openly. And granted, God has given me 12 years of sobriety, 12 years of healing, or I'm sorry, 15 years. I need to move those years as I get older. <laughs> 15 years of sobriety and healing from that. Praise Him. And, uh, and, and, you know, as I talk about it, I get to see people come out of the prisons and out of the cells that they're in and find healing. And so, man, I'm just, I'm all about, I, I can't imagine not being authentic. Brene Brown, you know, I don't know where Brene's in on, on the faith, but she has one of the most listened to TED Talks ever, talks about vulnerability and transparency and just the importance of it. And more and more, you know, secular psychology, if there's even such a thing, is saying the the health benefits of being vulnerable and and the uh, the the adverse is also true the opposite is also true the 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 things that are detrimental to our health when we keep secrets when we aren't open when we don't feel known and so i'm just done with secrets man like i uh i'm you know god says whatever is is hidden now will one day be fully exposed and so one day every single person hearing this all of your secrets will be exposed. Why not expose them right now? Man, I just, I don't want any, you know, skeletons in the closet, if you will. And I think that that makes us better leaders, better people, better husbands, better wives, better followers of Jesus. Yeah. Do you think that's a common trend in the pastoral community? You said that pastor sat down with you and said like, man, I can just be you. I know I heard you tell a story before about you were kind of giving that message. I think it was on how to reach millennials, Mm -hmm. but you were talking about leading with a limp and being authentic. And you got some feedback from a seminary that kind of said, like, you can't do that, right? Well, a seminary had asked me to come and and, um, speak on how to lead young adults. And so they they wanted me to come and, hey, how to reach the next generation. And in doing that, I, I I was sharing them a story about how one time I had clicked on a hashtag before I was preaching a message. I clicked on a hashtag on Instagram and I had seen, I saw nudity and it was like, you know, it was kind of for porn addict. It was like a relapse. I didn't act out on it. I didn't do anything. I, I eventually fleed, but I had sat there. I knew I had sinned 
in, in seeking that out. I knew that it was a questionable hashtag. I knew it was taking me somewhere dark, if, the, if you will. And so before I preached the sermon on that particular night, I just, I felt a conviction and I said, hey, I want to tell everybody what happened. You know, I'm just, I'm kind of, you know, doing what I, I'm talking about with you right now. I just said, hey, I want everyone to know what I did and I'm sorry. And I just, I don't want to be a hypocrite up here. I don't want to, you know, preach from the word of God while this is sitting on my conscience. And and I know Christ has forgiven me, but I want to, in some ways I've sinned against you all, I want to ask your forgiveness. And, uh, and you know, that night I had the longest line of people. Like there's, you know, there's people that want to chat with you, but that night was the longest line of people. And uh, I, I was there till like midnight talking with people who were just like, I can't believe you said that. They didn't care about the message. They don't, I don't even know what I preached that night. They just wanted to talk about that confession on the front end. And so this deep, this, seminary had asked me to come and speak about how to reach the next generation. And I shared that story, the same story I just shared about, um, about talking about clicking on the hashtag before message. And afterwards people said, Hey, you're a pastor. You have to present as holy. You know, you need to have the appearance of holiness. It's inappropriate to confess those kinds of things to the congregation. It's inappropriate to say pornography in a mixed gender audience. Like there's so, and there, there was just a lot of criticism I I received from that. And as I read through it, I've got really sad, not because they were harsh toward me, but because I just thought, you know, they are never going to reach that generation. Like if they're out there trying to manage the appearance of holiness, right? Instead of actually being holy, which comes through confession and you know and and being real, if you're trying to manage the appearance of holiness, you're never going to reach the next generation because what the man we are so sick of millennials, Gen Y, Gen Z, we're so sick of pastors pretending to have it all together. Like who who can attain to that? I, I want somebody who's real, you know and. And I think that that I think that in our pursuit of Christ's likeness, we have to be honest with where we're at, and the things that we're struggling with, and who we are, and and what we're doing. And when we're honest with where we're at, then we can you know continue in our pursuit of Christ's likeness. But we have to start with hey, where are we at right now? How are we struggling in this broken world as we you know wait to be with God in His kingdom? I love that. So. One of the things I wanted, to, I think one of the things that drew me to kind of you and contacting you and pursuing you, I actually, moving to Dallas this year, I had, hadn't even heard of Watermark before mm-hmm. this year, and then we got invited to the porch and then yeah. started just consuming content like crazy. Um, one of the things that drew me was your story, and mm-hmm. I think the way it, it drew me is you got you guys talk about what needs to be talked about. One, I think one of the draws for the, my generation, the millennial generation, young adults, is you guys are talking about the problems that we're actually facing. You're not avoiding them. Yeah. And one of the things that that drew me in is so I don't have the past that you had. Mm-hmm. I had, I, th- I stayed pretty straight and narrow, but it was more. It wasn't a relationship with God as much as it was fear of disappointment for my parents or things like that. Right. Um, one of the things I've loved that you talk about is that um, the party scene kind of it killed your creativity and it killed a lot of the things that that you thought were good in your life. Yeah. Um, comparing and contrasting for me, like I've thought in my life, man, man did I miss out like mm-hmm. on the sex, on the girls, on the partying. Yeah. There's been times in my life, full disclosure, where I'm like, man, did I, should I have dabbled in that for a little while yeah. and had that fun and kind of get my holiness when holiness was due and not right now kind of yeah. thing. Um, can you speak to that a little bit to listeners who are like, man, should I kind of on the fence of like, what way should I go? Should I pursue holy holiness now or godliness now? Yep. 
or should I live it up while I'm young? Yeah, yeah. You said something right before that that last part. I want to remember to say something. I'm trying to remember what you said uh, before you said before you were saying, you know, should I live it up now? You said you were talking about something you had heard me say. Do you remember what it was? I think. Oh, that uh, the the party scene killed your creativity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so let me just address that, and then I'm gonna I want to come back to your question. And so, yeah, sin robs you of creativity. And so, there's people out there that are listening right now, you know, that that you you think you're getting away with sin. And so, for me, like I partied, and uh, you know, every Thursday, Friday, Saturday night, I'd go back to the bar, I'd run up the you know the hundred dollar bar tab or whatever you know, couple several hundred dollar bar tab, whatever it is. And then, you know, I'd go home, maybe sleep with some girl I didn't know and, you know, do the same things, wake up with a hangover, wash, rinse, repeat, do the same thing over and over. And when we were when we were drunk, you know, sitting on a tailgate or hanging out with your boys, you're like, man, one day we're going to backpack through Europe, man. One day we're going to go to Thailand, man. One day we're going to, you know, one day we're going to do this one day. We're, but but in the days, all we would do is we'd go back to the bar, we'd go back to the club and, and we'd do the same thing, get in a fight, you know, try to get laid, whatever it is. And it's just like there was no creativity in that. And we were calling that life. But really, I look back on that. It was stupid. And so think about the the foolishness of you thinking, man, am I missing out on it? What are you missing out on? Like, I mean, truly, like what? The pleasures of, of, of you know, sex with a strange woman that you don't know? Like, sure, that that's that's really fun. You know, on an erotic scale of 1 to 10, it's probably 11. But it's fleeting. And then it's behind you. And then you feel bad. And and then maybe you face the consequences. And so the exchange is not worth it. I mean, you let's just call it what it is. It, that's going to leave you empty. It leaves everybody empty. That's why billionaires or, or people with, with lots of money and lots of opportunity still get depressed. And, and I mean, at a, at a really similar rate, if not higher, than the average Joe because they have... All of the opportunities do that thing. I, a friend says, you know, the the rich, the wealthy are infinitely better off than the poor because while the poor thinks that money will buy them happiness, the wealthy know better. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I think there's a lot of truth to that, and, you know, anywhere we're searching for life. And so I sat, I asked the same question that you asked me. I asked to somebody with a, uh, you know, I don't know you well, but I assume a similar story. And it's this. It's a friend of mine, and she has just been preserved. I mean, the the first guy she kissed was at the altar. Um, the first dude she ever dated was in her late twenties, and they got married. And um, and that was that was the first guy she kissed, and it was it was when they were getting married. You know, you may kiss the bride. That was her first kiss of her whole life. And so the world looks at her, and, and it's probably like, man, you know, you really missed out. She's never been drunk, never partied just been preserved and she's a cool girl i mean she's fun to hang out with she's you know has a personality like she's not lame she's really fun but she just has trusted jesus she's trusted that his word is true and that life is found in him alone and so in doing that we were in a green room one time she and i and i just asked that question i said you know what i got to party i got to have sex i got to do drugs i did cocaine ecstasy i've experimented those things you'll never know what those are like and now i'm in ministry and i'm going to go to heaven and we, we get the same, like we're both going to be in heaven. And so why is your life better than mine? Like why would anybody want to want to walk your path instead of my path when, you know, we both get God in the end and yet I got to live my life? And and uh, and so I asked it kind of antagonistically to because I, I knew she'd be fast on her feet and she was. She didn't disappoint. She didn't hesitate, bro. She did not hesitate. She said, she just looked at me and she said, 
yeah, but I've had more joy and less scars. Mm. And she said, and I was like, and, and she said, I've laughed harder and I have less scars. And, um, and I just, I looked at the room. I said, hey, everybody listen to me. Look at me. She's right. I want you to know she's right. She's laughed harder and she has less scars. And I do, I do have scars. And people are always like, hey, man, no regrets, man. No regrets, dude. I've got so many regrets. I've got mental images I can't forget. I can't shake. There's, there's temptations are greater for me because of some of the things that I've experienced. And she hasn't needed to. She's so much stronger than I am because she didn't need that. You know, she was she was able to trust God at his word and believe that life is found there, that the enemy comes to steal, kill and destroy. But Jesus has come so that we might have life and have it to the fullest. And she's experiencing that full life. And God has met her in the midst of that with blessings. And, and you know, when she was 20, whatever, and there was no prospect of a husband, you know, did she think that, you know, God was blessing her? The, the truth is she did because she could trust him in that. And she said, God, if you give me a husband, you're good. If you don't give me a husband, you're good. If you give me a child, you're good. If you don't give me a child, you're good. I'm going to trust that you're good. At the end, I get to be with you in your kingdom forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And I'm thankful that you spared me. She doesn't see, you know, snorting a line of Coke is like, gosh, I missed out on that. She's like, man, that's just costly because sin always costs you. No one gets away with sin in the history of history. No one has ever ever in all of existence committed a sin and gotten away with it, meaning it didn't cost them something. Every time you've been drunk, it cost you. Every time you've sinned sexually, it cost you. Every, every time you've sinned in your heart, it cost you. Sin always brings about death. And God, man, God wants life for us. And so, you know, he loves his kids and he wants us to thrive in relationship with him. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, hey, I want to jump into a portion of the book, actually. So JP's got a book. Welcome to Adulting. When did it come out? Last year? Well, September. This in past September. September, yeah. Okay, sweet. Well, this was a passage that I had underlined, wrote up next to it, that I thought was amazing. So you say, when looking at trends of the word usage in literature, the phrase follow your passion was virtually non-existent in books in the 1980s. By 1990, though, it was showing up 1.5 million times. In the 2000s, the phrase skyrocketed. By 2008, it was being used over 21 million times in English literature. This isn't because of the rise of the internet. We're only talking about print books here. So you've spent a majority of your ministry time ministering to our generation, to younger people. And there's this infallible idea right now that at all costs, follow your heart, follow your feeling, follow your passion. What's the detriment to that? I've heard you talk about it a little bit and I've read the book and just the cultural narrative that just seems to be ever increasing and climbing towards that direction how do you combat that and in your ministry in your walk when you're discipling people yeah i think to to believe that you know that ultimately what we're to do is to follow our passions it it leaves out so much of the story so and so that's confusing so let me clarify your passions are always changing. Like that's what is left out in that idea and in that narrative. I mean, if you followed your passions, most of us would be, have been married, you know, 27 times. I mean, consider every relationship that you were gung ho over or head over heels for, you know, every person you've ever said, I love you to. I mean, that's somebody you're passionate about. And now some of them, you can't even remember their name. Um, you know, and, and, and that's behind you jobs you're passionate about, you know, listen, 
I can I can watch a YouTube video and get extremely passionate about you know name it you know whether it's knitting or karate or art or you know basketball whatever the video is if it's if it's compelling my heart is stirred and now my passions are there and then you know if I'm impulsive I'm like all right here's what I need to go do I need to go and invest a bunch of stuff that would allow me to do this only to find out the next day that I'm not really interested in that. I'm not very talented at it, and God didn't make me to do that, you know. I could watch a documentary on Netflix about horse racing, and uh, and by the end of it, my heart's so stirred, I'm passionate about being a jockey, okay? And so I might think, man, this is what I'm supposed to do. Like, God made me to be a jockey. All right, now there's a couple problems with that, okay? I'm six feet, seven inches tall, I, I weigh 250 pounds. I'm going to be the world's worst jockey in that has ever lived, right? And, and so my passions are not enough. There has to be something else. And so what, what? consider this, we have more options in regards to a career than we've ever had in any, time, any other time in history, and yet we have the highest depression rates, the highest anxiety rates. What's going on? We have more tools. We have Strength Finder and Myers-Briggs and Enneagram and Lion, Otter, Beaver, you know, Lion. Or what, how, what am I, how have I been wired? How did God make me? We have all of these tools to help show us what we're supposed to do, and yet we continue to change jobs faster and more than any other generation that's lived. What is wrong? What is the disconnect? I think the options have done us a disservice. See, your great-great-grandfather, he was most likely a farmer, and he wasn't a farmer because he was an Enneagram 7, and it said, hey, you should be a farmer. You know, he was a farmer because his dad was a farmer, and if he didn't farm, he didn't eat, and that's all that was available to him, and so he farmed, and he never thought, hey, am I uniquely wired to be a farmer? No, he just farmed. Paul, the apostle in the scripture, he was a tent maker. Now, he didn't take a personality test that, that told him, hey, you know what you should really do? You should be a tent maker. No, he needed to fund his ministry, and what was available to him was making tents, and so he did it, right? And so with us, we're constantly trying to find that job that's going to fulfill us, and here's the punchline. It's not going to. Because of Genesis chapter 3 and because of the fall, it says now we're going to work, and our work is going to fight us. We're going to try to toil till the ground, and the ground is going to produce thorns and thistles and war against us. But we know that work is not the result of the fall, because in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, man worked, humans worked before sin entered the world. We know that we're going to work in heaven, okay? There's going to be work for us to do in heaven. So work is is something that God designed us to do, and we should do it, but it's not going to fulfill us. It's just a function of what we do. It's not who we are. Let me say that again, because I think that's important. Work is a function of what we do, but it's not who we are. It's not our identity. And when we try to make it our identity, then we that's that's when we fail. That's when we you know people sell out and and it can become the adulterous man or woman in our life is when we give everything to our work. When we need to look at it like, hey, I'm going to work with excellence as though I'm working for the Lord. It's the Lord Jesus I'm serving. That's Colossians 3, 23 and 24. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to work hard um, so that I make the teachings of Christ our Savior attractive. That's Titus 2.10. I mean, this is, it's not, we, we focus so much on what and where, what we should do and where we should do it. And we need to focus more on, hey, how. How do we work? Any job, whether I'm a barista, a janitor, a lawyer, a doctor, whatever that is, whatever I do, the, the bigger question is not what, but how. How do I do that? And so if you follow your passions, you're going to continue to follow your passions off a cliff. 
because your passions are always changing, man, yeah. all the time. And Proverbs 4.23 says, um, above all else, guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life. Or maybe your version says, you know, keep your heart with all diligence because everything you do flows from it. And he, he's saying, you don't, you know, you don't just follow your heart, your heart, you inform your heart, you tell it where to go. I'll say that again. So you can write it down and tweet it out. Don't follow your heart, inform your heart, tell it where to go. You're in, you're in charge of your heart. No, don't your heart, your heart's like a bloodhound, man. It just, <laughs> it chases more of what has been fed and, um, and you got to be careful what you feed your heart. Yeah. Would you say passion's just really a deep-rooted feeling? I, I mean, it depends. It, it just depends on what you mean by passion. Yeah. Maybe. It's kind I mean, of a garbage word now. I think for some people, when they say passion, it's a deep-rooted feeling. Uh, some people, it's more like a calling. Yeah. You know, and I, I, that's why I, I just think we get so, especially, man, the younger generation, we're so mystical, and everything has to have this deep meaning. And sometimes I think, you know, Paul wrote the Thessalonians and he just said, um, you know, strive to live a quiet life and work with your hands. That's not sexy though. You know, that's the reality shows aren't going to be made on that. Mm -hmm. But I I think there is something to this idea of, you know, work is a function of our being and it's why we're paid to do it. I mean, if it wasn't, if we, if, if we had to enjoy it, you know, they wouldn't pay us to be there. And if, if we had to enjoy, if we enjoyed every, every aspect of our work, that's a hobby, you know, and, and people hate that. Like they, (laughs) they don't like when I say that, but let me just tell you something to look out for. Let me, I promise this is going to happen for everybody listening. (laughs) You're going to talk to somebody that's like, oh man, I got this new job. It's amazing. I got the best job ever. I'm, I'm, you know, never work a day in my life because I love my job. Love it so much. And then you're going to talk to them two months later and you can be like, Hey, how's your job? And they'll be like, oh dude, I quit that. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? I thought you loved it. And they're like, yeah, no, I thought I did too. But, uh, you know, and, you know, I, there's something in us. I think a lot of times we're just chasing the new thing, the shiny thing. The grass is always greener and we're changing jobs like underwear. And, you know, we just need to be careful because you never really learn a skill to learn a skill. You know, now Malcolm Gladwell said it takes 10,000 hours to become an expert or, or whatever that is, whatever phrase he puts on that. And through those 10,000 hours, there's a lot of grind, man. You, you just got to do something, even though you don't enjoy doing it, you're just grinding. And, um, yeah, I think, I think there's something for us to learn from that. Yeah. So how, what's your advice to people? How do you navigate uh, making a decision based on a feeling or a passion or a good, right desire from God? Kind of a Psalm 37.4 desire from God that how do you know? How do you tell the difference? It's a good question. I I think that um I'm not just like I'm not advocating hey just throw your feelings out the window or or compartmentalize your feelings. I think you have to have checks and balances with your feelings. And so what are some of those um you know I think in terms of a, a metaphor that I use is I'm not great with directions. And so um I got in on the GPS game early, you know, and now it's on our phones and all the time. But I I would always like, I'm going to go somewhere. I'm going to put, put the destination of my GPS. And so as I think through that, if I'm making life's decisions, I think through GPS, um, you know, the first one is group. And so my, my community and my small group, like a group of people in my life that can speak wisdom in my life. There's like 16 Proverbs that say wisdom comes from the council of many where when I come to them and I'm like, guys, man, the Lord just uh, the Lord just told me that I need to be a jockey. 
that they can they can balance that with, dude, I don't think that was God because you're six seven, two hundred and fifty pounds. You're you're gonna be a miserable jockey. And um and so they can balance that. So you know, that collective wisdom from those people. Uh the the second one, the P is prayer. And so that's where, you know, I have this feeling and so I just wanna take that for a minute and pray through it. Like, Lord, I feel this. Is that you? You know, you say your sheep know your voice. Like, is this you? Or But I also know the enemy masquerades like an angel of light. So is this temptation? Is this my flesh? Is it the world? Like, what is influencing right, me right now? Is this you? And then the, the, the S is scriptures. And so what in God's word uh, can, speaks into my specific question and, and the calling in question? I, I think God is saying this, but is there scriptures that back up and, and would support this idea and say that it's wise? And so you have your group, your prayer, and your scriptures, and that, that has become my GPS in kind of navigating those decisions. That's really good. Do you think at the root of the whole follow your feeling, follow your passion movement is a desire or a, a pursuit of comfort? Do you think we've made comfort king in a lot of ways? I, I do think we've made comfort king in a lot of ways, but I also think we've made um, passion king and pleasure king. Um, I, there's a lot I could say on that. I mean, in some ways I think we've made sex a God in our culture, but, uh, so I think it's beyond just comfort. And so comfort is when I think of comfort, I think of relaxing. I think we're actually chasing joy and chasing happiness. But the problem is we're looking under all the wrong rocks. We're looking in all the wrong places and, um, and it's not waiting for us there because some happiness, sometimes happiness and sustained joy comes through hardships. And that's what you see in the scripture. You know, James says, consider it all joy uh, when you face trials of many kind. And we don't know how to do that. How, how am I supposed to consider a trial joy, James? You know, how do I do that? And, and yet the scripture says it plainly, so there must be something there for us to learn. Paul says, I've learned the secret of being content in all circumstances, whether well-fed or hungry. We haven't learned how to be content and hungry at the same time. We don't know how to do that. And so what we're trying to do is, is we're saying, okay, how can we feed ourselves? How can we feed ourselves the next pleasure? Well, in Philippians 4, he says, um, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their God is their stomach. Their destiny is destruction. And so what he's saying is, you know, there are people who live as enemies of the cross. They eat whatever they're hungry for. They do whatever they feel like. And that's why I think those that live in enemy of the cross of Christ, their passion is their God. They, they eat, they follow their appetite. They eat whatever they're hungry for. And it looks like, you know, does, do I, you know, how, here's how I make a decision. Do I want to? Mm-hmm. Do I want to? And if, I, if the desire's there, then it must be right. And that's crazy because the, the another word for desire is flesh, yeah. <laughs> sinful nature, you know. And you can't just follow your sinful nature because you're going to continue to follow it off a cliff. And so that's why I think, I think more and more we've made passion our God. Hmm. That's, that's really good. What, um, how long were you at Watermark, JP? Twelve years. Twelve years. So one of the things, like I said, I didn't know uh, what Watermark was and since then have been consuming a lot of their resources, one of those being the leadership podcast that they put out, which if you're leading anything in any capacity, you should be, you should check that out. It's legit. Um, the thing that keeps coming up, no matter what I listen to a watermark is this thing called a 24 hour rule. Mm-hmm. I think that in itself is one of the things that can impact communities in the biggest way, whether that be an entire community, like a town 
or an entire community as in like a church community. Mm. Can you talk about what the 24 hour rule is and then talk about how that's impacted and changed not only your organizations, but your own life? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The 24 hour rule in, in, in its simplest form is having conversations that you need to have within 24 hours. Now, here's what it looks like practically. Cause how do you know you need to have a conversation? If I come to you and I say, Hey, you know, John over there, gosh, why is he wearing that shirt? You know, um, that it makes him look fat. Then you would say, Hey JP, why are you telling me about John's shirt? You need to tell John, you have 24 hours to tell him, or I'm going to go and tell him, or we can go tell him together if you want, but you need to tell him within 24 hours. And so it's just, it just creates a culture where gossip is not permitted. It's not allowed. And, uh, and that's how it changes the culture to answer the second part of your question is you get to a place where it's just, it, you create an environment that's not safe for gossip. And so people, man, they'll come up with all kinds of excuse to gossip. Well, it was just a prayer request. You know, Hey, can we pray for John? Because his shirt is too small and we may just need to pray that he can get it. Man, that's gossip. You know, um, it, I just need to vent. You know, it just I just got to get this off my chest, man. John Church just bothered me, man, just the way he dresses. Okay, that's gossip. All right, if you're talking to anybody except John about John, you need to go tell John, and I'm going to give you 24 hours to do so. And so that just comes, that 24 hours, you see that a lot. You know, Jesus says, give your worries a 24-hour boundary in Matthew 6. Ephesians 4 says, do not let the sun set on your anger. And... um in Matthew 5, it says, you know, if you go and you leave your gift at the altar and you realize someone has something against you, you run and be reconciled to them, you know, with a sense of urgency. Matthew 18, you know, if, if somebody has sinned against you, you go and tell them in private. And so it's just all of these ideas are bathed in Scripture that, uh, that we're to talk to people, not about people. And so that's, that is the 24-hour rule. Just do it in 24 hours. No, that's awesome. I think in order to do that, you have to have some ability to handle conflict mm-hmm. and i think that's something else our generation kind of struggles with i yeah. know i've struggled with it before yeah you actually say in the book which i love um that you don't hate conflict you hate conflict resolution yeah. and i think that's very true for yeah. most people and a lot of people how do you i like the the approach you take to how do you handle conflict how do you know if you should handle that conflict i like that mm-hmm. and then moving forward okay i need to handle this conflict how do i do it because yeah. as you said matthew 5 almost in a way puts puts conflict resolution above the worship of God. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think um I think in in dealing with any conflict you have to start with you know, it can I overlook this. And the scripture calls us to overlook a small offense. And so how do I know if it's a small offense or not? How do I know if it's something I need to overlook or not? Well, I liken it to like when you eat something and it just doesn't sit right with you and you think, "Oh man, I'm going to see that again. That's coming back up." In the same way with conflict, if it's if it's coming back up, if you're driving down the road and you're having conversations in your head, you're talking to somebody who's not there and you're getting worked up and you're getting all angry and you know you're you're starting to sweat because of, of thinking through a situation when it's not even happening, but you're continuing to live in it is coming back up. Well that that's how you know you can't overlook that small offense because you didn't overlook it. And when, when you can overlook a small offense, you just naturally overlook it. It just happens. And so that that's a pretty easy test there. And so let's just say it's coming back up and you're like, okay, now I need to, to deal with this. Well, then you go to that person. That's Matthew 18. Now we're in the Matthew 18 process. You go to them in private and you say, hey, you hurt me by. Okay, but before that, there's a step in between. And that's where I say, you know, it, it says in Matthew 7, we're to remove the plank out of our eye so that we can get the splinter out of our neighbor's eye. And so you say, do I have an, a part in this offense? Do I have a, a part in this offense? Is there anything that I've done that I can own? 
and something we've said here is, you know, the, the fence may be 99% their fault. And so let's just say there's 1% that you did. Maybe you gossip, maybe you vented to somebody. Um, maybe you send in your anger against them. You know, maybe you sat on it too long. You waited too long to tell them you were cowardly. Okay, maybe that's the, the 1% you can own. And so you own 100% of your 1%. You own 100% of your 5%, whatever it is. You start with, hey, will you forgive me? Will you please forgive me because I should have brought this to you earlier? Would you please forgive me because when I was driving down the road, I just thought some really terrible things about you. Would you please forgive me because I went to you know our friend and, and said some bad things about you because I was so angry? And will you please forgive me for, and you ask the forgiveness, and then you say, you hurt me by. These are really powerful phrases. Will you please forgive me for, it's a question, not a command, but a question. Will you please forgive me for, fill in the blank, be clear. And you hurt me by when you said this, when you didn't say this, when you went there, when you hung out with them, when you wrote that, it hurt me. You hurt me by doing this, fill in the blank and be clear and give them the opportunity to ask your forgiveness. And so I think now we're in that conflict resolution. What they listen to you, you, you know, Matthew 18 says you won your, your brother or sister over, but if they don't, you take somebody with you and uh, someone can come and kind of mediate and hear, hear you both out and, and say, hey, I, this is what I think is going on. And if they listen to you, you've won them over. But if they didn't, then you go, you bring in somebody from the church and, and that, that you guys would listen to somebody from the church. And if they listen, you won them over. And if not, you treat them as a non-believer, it says, which just means to love and share the gospel with them and, and wait for them and, and pray for them. So hmm. that's the process that's outlined. That's outlined again in Matthew chapter 18. Awesome. So what I think I heard you say this once, JP. I don't know if it's a watermark thing or what it is, um, but you asked someone, "Hey, what's the last two percent?" Yeah, can you explain that a little bit? Yeah, it's just that. Uh, yeah, we we say that all the time. It's kind of obnoxious, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, it's just like, "Hey, what's the what's the thing that?" Another way to say it, especially with married people, is is like, "Hey, what's the conversation you're going to have when you get in the car?" You know, you got to be able to say in the living room the thing you're going to say when you're on your way home in the car. And um, and so that's that last two. Man, I, you know, hey, that was all great and all, but I just, and it's that last 2%. Hey, here's the last thing I'm thinking. Here's the one thing that's left unsaid. Hey, let me get the last part out. And um, and just to let to leave no things unsaid amongst brothers and sisters in the faith that we would say that last 2%. So that's the essence there. Awesome. I love that. What are you going to say in the car? That's a good way to think about it. Um, so, JP, you got big changes recently in your life, moving down to Waco, moving the family. You were here before, but you moved back. Yeah. Um, pastoring a church. Mm-hmm. First time being, like, the lead pastor, right? Yeah, You were sure. the campus pastor in Dallas? Or? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, what are you learning? Like, what's God teaching you in your quiet times, in your time alone, in your time in community? What, what are you currently learning? Well, one thing I'm learning is you got to fight for quiet times. You know, that is, I think it just gets harder and harder to prioritize time with God. And um, and you have to choose to. And at least it feels like it gets harder and harder. I don't know that, you know, probably just in seasons it's hard. And um, and so you have to prioritize that. And I think the biggest challenges I'm facing is, is just to manage the buckets. And so uh, the buckets for me are... Um, to be with the congregation. You know, the congregation wants to be with their pastor. They want to hang out. They want to have you over for dinner, have lunches and breakfast. But there's a lot of them, you know. And so how do you how do you do that in a way 
how do you create systems and processes uh, in what you know like a mega church today? How do you allow for that? What does that look like? What's reasonable expectation? What's not? What's an unreasonable expectation? So that's the hanging with the congregation. Second is leading the staff. You know, I have a new staff and they're all in different parts of their journey and those are the people that I'm responsible for and and so how do I develop them and care for them and and make sure you know they're being led well and then thirdly is writing messages and so uh, that's that has to be done in solitude right you you have to create time and space where it's just you and you know your computer and commentaries and you're writing messages and everybody in the congregation, they want two things. They want excellent messages, excellent preaching on the weekend, and they want you to be available. And you can't do both of those. Like, choose one, you know. You can't you can't have both of those. And so I th- uh, just striking that balance, and for whoever's listening, you know, it's going to look different. But, you know, it may look like, hey, how do I be with my family and be a hard worker? Or how do I prioritize this and this? And so it's just, it's, it's, um, making sure we have the right priorities. I mean, that's one thing I'm learning in leadership right now that is a challenge. Um, so that'd be the, that's the first thing that comes to mind. Awesome. How have, you, how have you coped with it? How are you figuring out to kind of like, do you have a system right now? Or are you still figuring that out? Or Yeah, no, I think I'm building a system. You know, I think it's just to, to create the days um, for certain things. And that's, you know, that's the the other challenge in coming here is, you know, the book is still out there. Welcome to Adulting. I'm writing two others. I'm writing. There's a survival guide, so it's like a 42 day uh, devotional to go with Welcome to Adulting. Welcome to Adulting survival guide that I'm really, really excited about, and that stuff demands time as well. And so, just to to create that with excellence, and um, that's going to be that I want it to be a, a, the helpful resource that it is, uh, as well as some other book projects, as well as speaking different places, as well as doing po- podcasts like this as well as meeting with the people, as well as, you know, writing sermons, as well as leading the staff. And so I think it's just prioritizing things, putting the big rocks in, you know, help having someone who's really gifted to help me manage the schedule and uh, and build those processes. But it, it, I would say I'm staying on top of it. The Lord has been gracious and it's a struggle all at <laughs> once. So all of those things are true. Awesome. Hey, one of the things, JP, is we're kind of coming to a close um, that I admire about you and why one of the reasons that I wanted really hooked in to start listening to you is like your, your biblical literacy is amazing. Mm-hmm. And just the, the way that you tell people where you, you tell people where the wisdom you're giving them is coming from yeah. essentially, you know, like, so what's your advice? And this is selfishly for me too, not just the listeners to people on increasing their biblical literacy, memorizing scripture, what that looks like, yeah. obviously reading your Bible, but what's your, do you have any advice for people that, that want to have more of that, want to be able to, you say in the book, don't give advice if you can't tie scripture to it. And I yeah. think that's super sound. Yeah. So how do we get to that point? Yeah, man, I think God turned that on in me. And I mean this humbly, but I want to say it. And I may at the risk of sounding arrogant. Um, so I hope, hope you hear this and just the, the heart that I mean it from. Um, I think God turned that on in me to remove people's excuse. And here's what I mean is I'm not. I'm not very smart. I mean, I struggled in school my whole life. I've got a two-year degree in art, um, and and so no seminary training, no formal education. I um, I don't read well. I'm not a reader. I don't like reading. I don't enjoy reading at all. Um, and man, God just allowed me to start to retain His Word. And um, as in Watermark, I was around it in a really concentrated 
form. I mean, and, and I learned just a lot of the things I'm sharing with you from Todd Wagner and, and other leaders that I've had the privilege of being around, uh, just being surrounded by the word of God. And he, he just allowed me his Holy spirit and his grace allowed me to begin to return, uh, to retain those verses. And I don't have as many as I wish I did. You know, I wish it was, it was a hundred X what it is, but, um, just sitting in the word of God every day, soaking it up, learning it, you know, repeating those scriptures and, um, and they're just hidden there in, in our hearts as it says the scripture should be written on our hearts. And so, um, I, I would say, you know, whatever you do, however you learn, whatever that is for you, make sure you're prioritizing the things of God because nobody wants to know, nobody cares your opinion, you know, they want really, especially if you're in pastoral ministry or even leading in the church, they want to know God's opinion. And why would you ever give them your opinion if you can give them God's opinion? And to, to get God's opinion, you have to know God's opinion. We have the, the Holy Scriptures, the Word of God, the Bible. And so can we even say that we believe the Bible is true if we don't know what it says? I mean, is it even a possibility to say, I believe the Bible is true and not read it? Is that is that even real? Like, Can you even do that? I don't know. And, uh, and if we believe the Bible is true, then we need to re- write it on our heart. We need to know what it says. Yeah, I sent so I sent some of your sermons to a few of my friends, and the the two things that came back because I wanted to get their feedback, what they thought, um, anything I should t- we should talk about. Two things that came back. The first one was his biblical literacy is awesome. Second one was this guy actually believes this. Mm-hmm. Like, there's something about the way that you preach. I think I, it car- Todd does it too. So I don't mm-hmm. know if that's a carryover from uh, from that. I know people that actually believe it, but they don't feel like they believe it. Yeah. How do you exude that into your life? when you're meeting with people, when you're preaching, when you're doing all those things, is that a, is that a product of steeping in the word and having it a part of you and, um, and just integrated every single day into your schedule in your life? Man, it's a really weird that like my, my first knee jerk answer to that question is, um, like some of you listening right now need to start at a place where you can say with integrity and honestly, man, I don't believe it. And so, like, start there. Like, let's be honest and say, you know what? I don't. Be- I must not believe this because I don't do what it says. Um, you know, James says, "Don't be merely hearers of the word, but do what it says." So, what does it look like for me to start to do what it says? Because your behavior is always going to follow your belief. And so, in a way, you said, you know, how how do you get people to believe? And I'm like, man, I don't. You know, it's how do you get people to believe anything? You you start with, what do you believe? Why don't you believe it? You know, what is true? How do you determine truth? And, and you know, let's test it and let's see if it's true. But come to a place where you say, okay, I like let's just get real for a minute. I do believe this is true or I don't. But And let's make it binary or I'm on a journey and I believe this is true but not this or whatever it is. But let's start with what are we dealing with? What do you believe is true? And your behavior is going to show that, not just your statement of belief, but your behavior, the way that you live your life. And... And then I think you, you know, if you want to grow your belief, you you begin to test it. You begin to know what it says and live it out and try it. And uh, man, I will just tell you, I've never ever in the history of my existence done. Uh, I've never have done what the Bible said and regretted it not one single time. But many times in my life, I've done the opposite of what the Bible said. I've gone against what the Bible said, and I regretted it every single time. And so that right there helps me believe it you know and know it's true and and desire to live it out and as he says you know his word's never going to return void and i've just you know in the beginning of of um welcome to adulting it says uh 
you know, I've tested, um, I've tested the the uh, the warnings of Scripture and found them to be true, and now I'm testing the promises. And uh, I heard my friend Jeff Parker say that, and I just held on to it, and that's that's so true. I have tested the warnings of Scripture and I found them to be true, and now I'm testing the promises. Hmm. That's so good, JP. If people want more from you, if they want to consume some more content or just hear more of the uh, the things God's doing through you, where can they find you? Yeah, we have a podcast called Becoming Something, and so you can listen to that on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, anywhere podcasts are. And uh, man, it's, it's it's been really fun just to watch God use that resource. And uh, HarrisCreek.org is the church that I'm serving at uh, with now, and uh, God is doing big things here in Waco. And so if you get a Waco weekend, come see us. And if you visit Waco and go to Magnolia or whatever you're doing, come, come hang out with us at, at Harris Creek. It's a, a church in the country. But uh, I love what God's doing out here. Thanks for thanks for jumping in with me too, man. Driving yeah, down no, I appreciate it, man. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, Awaken Conference coming up. That's right? right. Awaken Conference Memorial Day weekend in Dallas at the Convention Center. Go to Awaken Live for more information. But, Sweet. Hey, appreciate you, JP. Thank yeah, you, bro. man. Thanks for having me on, my man. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Man, what a breath of fresh air JP is in a world of concealment and hiding who you really are. Uh, just the guy just exudes authenticity. The guy preaches authenticity. The guy is the same guy from the stage as he is in person, and I can testify to that now. I uh, hope to get more time with JP. He's a phenomenal guy, phenomenal teacher. If you have not listened to some of his content, because he's he's not only a phenomenal teacher, he's a phenomenal leader. Um, but yeah, amazing guy, amazing guy. Hey, don't forget to enter the giveaway, guys. Uh, the information is below in the details and also in the intro. I'll say it again real quick. Follow Humble Daily. Follow JP, and you. When you listen to the podcast, post it to your story, tagging JP and Humble Daily. And when you do that, you might win a Humble Daily t-shirt or tank, along with a copy of JP's book, Welcome to Adulting, and plus a bag of Cody coffee. So hey guys, enter to win, and we're going to keep putting out the content, hoping that it impacts your guys' lives for the better, and the betterment of your society and your culture. So hey, we love you guys. We're so thankful for you. We're grateful for you. If you leave a rating and review, I'll kiss you on the lips. But hey... Thank you so much, guys. We really appreciate it. We love it. Thank you for all that you do for us, allowing us to share the content on the platform that we have. Hope you guys have a great week. Hope this spurs you forward. Uh, Yeah, that's about all I got. Love you guys. Is Intersection by DJ Quads. Check him out on YouTube at his channel, DJQUA.